Hi and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hi David, welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast Sunny Side Up. It's lovely to have you here today. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, thank you so much for inviting me onto the program. Very excited for us to have a conversation and, and share some great insights and ideas around sales and marketing alignment and technology. So thank you. We're super happy to have you here. So let's begin with uh, you telling the audience about yourself and, of course, a little bit about Demand Gen. Sure. You know, I never set out to necessarily start a company like this. Uh, we've now just passed our 12-year anniversary, and, and the company came from – I ran marketing in Silicon Valley for about two decades. And during that time, this is from the late 80s all the way up to 2007, during that time, right, we saw the advent of the Internet we saw dramatic change in the way companies were going to market. And I was experiencing those changes and embracing those changes as I ran marketing at various different software and technology companies. So let's see, in about 2003 to 2007, that time period, I brought in marketing automation for the very first time, brought in a cloud-based CRM, that being Salesforce at the time, and saw firsthand just how incredible and powerful these tools are to driving revenue and aligning Mm -hmm. sales and marketing. So after that, for about three years, I said, God, I just have to figure out a way to go help other people embrace these Mm -hmm. tools. And that's where Demand Gen came from. So we started the company and never looked back. And it's been a real incredible ride with, I think we've worked with probably over 500 different companies, mostly enterprise companies, on how to embrace all these digital technologies and the methods for for driving growth. So it's it's been fun. Love it. That sounds lovely. So what's a typical day at work like for you? Typical day. As a CEO of the company, there's for sure a pattern that is in my week, although every day feels so unique. I spend a lot of time around thought leadership myself, you know, so kind of coming back to Mm -hmm. why the company was founded. A typical day for me is working on books, working on blog posts, working on my podcast, which I just did over 100 episodes. Uh, Demand Gen Radio is the name of the podcast. So I'm always working on thought leadership content. That's part of every single day. Another part of my day is working with our partnerships. We have a great partnership with Adobe uh, slash Marketo, partnership with Oracle, and several dozen other marketing technology companies to help them with their go-to-market strategy and to help them with the needs of our customer base. So I spend a lot of time with our partners Of course, as a CEO, I work with my leadership team and the company on our initiatives, and my focus there is often around innovation. We're always asking ourselves, you know, what are our customers' problems and how is the best way to solve them? So I'm a bit of our chief innovation officer. And so uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of one-on-ones, lots of uh, in those meetings working on our go-to-market strategy, like I said, with with partners and, and ways to help our clients. And I do spend a little bit of time at nights and weekends just researching the marketplace, I think, which is how we got connected and uh, making sure that I know what's new and what's coming so that as our customers' needs continue to evolve and change, that we've got a pulse on helping them find solutions for those. Great. And I think you've also written a book, Manufacturing Demand. Do you have any other books in the pipeline for us to look forward to? And do you want to tell our audience about this book? Sure. Well, I'll be very transparent with you guys. That first book has done incredibly well, well beyond my expectation. Like you said, manufacturing demand. I like to kid around and say that I'm on the New York Times best giver list. So if anyone was lucky enough to find this podcast, and I hope you you listen to it, don't hesitate to come to demandgen.com and peek in our resources area, and you can download a digital copy for free of that. 
If you want a physical copy, they are available online for purchase. We do give them out to our clients as gifts, and not just because it's a gift of information, but it really is a recipe book. So if anybody hasn't read it, it explains the why of aligning sales and marketing, and it explains the how to align sales and marketing with the use of marketing automation and CRM. So the book's done phenomenal, number one book in its category. And as you said, I then started on a second book. And I got to say, this one's a lot harder to write than the first. And I don't know the exact reason for that other than uh, a lot of it is bandwidth for me. Just getting enough time to write a book as busy as we have been. But the second book, to answer your question, Mm -hmm. is the working title is called Agents of Change. And it's a story, really a tapestry of stories that our clients have gone through so that I could share for everyone, how to go about digital transformation from a culture perspective and from a sales and marketing perspective. If the first book is a recipe book, this book is a fable, a business fable, so that people can read it and go, God, I, I, think, I think Dave was, was a fly on the wall and hearing some of our conversations with sales and marketing, and I can totally relate to the story that this fictional company is going through. But it's designed also to be a recipe book but more from a storytelling perspective. And I'm about a third of the way through it. I wish I was further along. And I I just, when people ask me, when will it be done? I say, it's going to be done when it's done. I don't have a timetable for it other than I I wish I'd get it to there. But I do speak a lot about the content that I've written so far. And the main thing in there, just to give you a tip off, is about customer experience. It's actually very little to do, the end of the story has little to do with there was a specific tool or technology or method. It's really about if sales and marketing focuses on customer experience, and that is exceeding your customer's expectations, then you'll have a client for life. And I wanted to make sure that that's the theme of the book because we can use all the tools and technologies out there to drive growth. But if the culture of the company isn't around customer experience, it really doesn't matter if you have the best product or best processes because in the, in the end, you're not going to succeed. You might get new customers, but they'll slip away and fall out. Uh, and so that's, that's a big theme of the book. Great. So, of course, uh, friction between sales and marketing is definitely very commonplace in the B2B marketplace. What are your top five suggestions for teams to deal with this? Number one has got to uh-huh. start with the culture between the team. It's one of the things that you hear in my book when the first book, Manufacturing Demand, was my relationship with Joe Langner. Joe was the VP of sales at Ellie Mae. And I really talk about the relationship that we had. For example, people often ask, like, Dave, the name of your company is Demandgen. Like, how did you get that URL? Like, you were a pioneer to you start using the word Demandgen before the whole industry did. And that came literally because I wanted to change the culture between sales and marketing, which is that first thing that you need to do. So we had a sales and marketing meeting on Friday, and that sales and marketing meeting uh-huh. was called the sales and marketing meeting. And in that meeting, probably not a surprise, sales sat on one side of the table, marketing sat on the other. So I rebranded that meeting called the Demand Gen Meeting and brought sales and marketing into it. And we were having such phenomenal success in terms of changing the culture between sales and marketing. I went and registered the domain thinking that I would write a blog someday around our journey and what we were doing. Uh And little did I know that would turn into the company. So that's the first thing is that, you know, if sales and marketing view themselves as, you know, hashtag one team with a common set of goals. And the culture is about alignment as opposed to about friction or feeling this drift between the two. It's, it's there. Uh, the second thing would be around having a shared vision. Um, all too often, sales has a revenue number or target number. And do you know what? Sales doesn't know what that number is. They don't even know what the company is trying to achieve in terms of revenue growth, either from their customers. 
So they've got to have a shared vision on what success looks like and talk about that so that it's not just about lead generation or about the next trade show or another piece of content. It's what are we all trying to achieve together and rowing towards that goal and trying to get there. Along that, my third recommendation would be, you know, walk in each other's shoes. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. You know how marketing operations can sometimes tell sales, hey, you're not attaching a contact record to every opportunity. You need to do that. Or you're not logging all your tasks in your CRM and you need to do that. And then marketing Mm -hmm. or sales rather is telling marketing, right? I need another case study or I need another piece of content or I need this or I need a template. So they're always requesting stuff from marketing, often last minute. And marketing is always requesting stuff from sales. And what you really should do, I mean, really, like if there's one thing to take away from everything we're going to talk about today is walk in the shoes of your colleague. Go to the marketing department and spend time with them looking at what a day in the life is like in marketing and how challenging it is and vice versa. If you're in marketing, take a break and work with sales and watch them use the CRM and watch them do outbound emails, go on joint Mm -hmm. calls with them and learn what it's like to be in sales. You know, it's like a husband and wife, you know, husbands need to understand the life of the wife and wife, you know, can understand, you know, the mindset of the husbands. And as long as you really respect the differences that we each have on the planet and in our roles and responsibilities, the more empathetic that you're going to be to one another because you understand, oh, I can't make a last minute request of marketing because they've got a mountain of things on their plate and they can't really do the kind of quality work they would want to do if it comes in last minute and vice versa. If you know what it's like to carry a sales number and a quota and be measured every month and every quota by your revenue performance, then you might have a different appreciation for why sales is so desperate for help and and always asking for things. That's number three. Uh, Systems would be my last one. Really align the systems together, make one and one equal three. So if you have a marketing automation and a CRM, the value will come from those. If you're using a platform like Demand Matrix and you're using it to source accounts and using it to get competitive analysis and intent data, really understand between sales and marketing how to leverage that information and put it towards revenue and growth. So make sure that you value the systems you have and get good use. And the last tip would be kind of comes back to the vision, have some shared goals. Every winning team has a scoreboard of some sort and have some shared goals that you can celebrate success together between sales and marketing. I don't mean just revenue goals. Maybe it's a target of a number of booked appointments for an event, or maybe it's respondents to a campaign, or maybe it's a revenue goal for a specific product or service, but have something that you together can celebrate success as opposed to what's traditional, right? Where sales has a revenue goal and marketing may have other goals, have some shared goals together. These uh, suggestions were pretty interesting, but where do you see sales as a role in the future? Because there's been a lot of talk about it becoming a redundant role in the B2B marketplace, especially. Where do you see the future of sales and what is your take on this? We could do a whole session just on that uh, for (laughs) sure, because I think there's a lot of speculation and there's a lot of trends that we're seeing. So from a trend perspective, we're definitely seeing sales is playing a very different role in B2B buying, right? When, Uh if we look at almost every single industry of where products and sellers meet, we're seeing less involvement by a person. And the reason is because companies are trying to take friction out of the buying process. And before the internet, the only way that you could actually learn about a product or service was to have a conversation with sales. So going all the way back, 
whatever number of years that is, marketing generated awareness and sales was the educator, the informant, was facilitating the learning experience and the buying process. And because of the internet, sales has moved further and further towards their role of facilitating the transaction. And marketing is doing more and more of awareness, education, interest, intent, all of those things. Is sales ever going to be completely displaced? I wouldn't go so far as to say that because I think certain industries, products are so sophisticated and in often cases so expensive that there needs to be representation from an individual with that prospective buyer. But in terms of the skill set and the role that sales has played and is playing, that will continue to shift more towards education and marketing. In fact, I would not hire a salesperson today that doesn't demonstrate excellent marketing skills. And what I mean marketing skills, at least marketing themselves and knowing how to show up online, whether that's LinkedIn uh, and have a presence. So you've got to be an exceptional marketer today to be in sales. At the same time, marketing really needs to understand the psychology of selling because it's not just about pretty pictures on your website and videos and words and such. You really need to understand the psychology of buying, which salespeople understand if you want to be a great marketer. Yes, absolutely. So especially in the B2B and technology marketing space, when it comes to sales and marketing strategies, we've spoken a lot about the friction. We've spoken about several other things, how to reduce the friction. But what do you see companies miss when they create sales and marketing strategies to to get clients, to convert clients? Unfortunately, a lot of them don't align on vision and strategy. The sales team shows up with a territory and maybe a set of target accounts and numbers and marketing shows up with campaigns and they get caught in batch and blast mode. It's the campaign du jour. It's the next event they want to promote or the next white paper or ebook or webinar. They think very tactically on, I have something to promote. And so therefore I need to put a campaign for it. But if all those campaigns don't sum up to an actual goal and strategy, then it's random acts of marketing and it's random acts of selling as opposed to how much revenue do we want to achieve across which products and services? How many customers do we need to do that? How much pipeline then do we need to generate? How many campaigns do we need to run? And one of the best channels and without technologies and services like you guys provide, you can be very inefficient. It's almost like you could have a machine gun and you're shooting bullets all over the place instead of having specific targets that you're going after. I don't like using military analogies, but spray and pray marketing doesn't work and spray and pray selling Mm -hmm doesn't work. You've got to be really targeted and go after the customers that you want with, with shared goals. So that, unfortunately, there's not enough strategy and vision. So then it's only natural to talk about account-based marketing, especially in this space, because I think more and more companies are making it a core strategy. Hyper-personalization is a big trend today. So how do you think companies can optimize their efforts? What should their core focus be here? Well, first, I want to say up front, just to have everyone kind of go, ah, thank goodness. The truth has been said, and that is ABM is really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. It's not easy. It's way easier to buy lists and come up with a generic email and do a batch and blast campaign. Anybody can do that. It's a lot harder to think about your audience and the persona of that audience and the company and have specific accounts to go after, to find the contacts within those accounts, and to create content that is as personalized as it needs to be. And to do all of that and all of it well and consistently is hard. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's hard and it requires technology 
it requires a strategy and it requires tying the technology and processes to the strategy. And I highly recommend that if people are going to start and find a place to be successful with ABM and personalization, maybe consider targeting your install base. Why? Because you have the account names, you have the contacts, and you can do very personalized marketing to them, even to a company of one, because you've solved the who are the accounts and who are the contacts. And if you can develop that muscle memory, right, if you can develop the skills and expertise to do it for your install base, then you can say, okay, now how are we going to go find our next 100 target accounts and the contacts and personalize it? And maybe leverage something like Demand Matrix to get you there. But if you just mm-hmm. start at the top of the funnel and you haven't developed the skill sets and expertise to do effective, highly personalized account-based marketing, then you know what good is it? Uh, just sitting on my desk today that just arrived, big shout out to Doug Davenport if you're out there. You know He sent me a magazine, Harvard Business Review, and the cover is The Brain Science Behind Business. And he sent this to me because he knows of my passion for neuroscience. And this issue is about that. So he took the time mm-hmm. to get the magazine to write a handwritten card and mail it to me, which is account-based marketing. He's specifically targeting me with a piece of content that's relevant to my level of interest. And that's the ultimate form of one-on-one marketing. And how do you do that at scale? It's hard, but it's worth it. Absolutely. So let's dip into the subject of data and analytics, because you cannot run an ABM campaign without it. And you cannot do B2B marketing today without data. What data sets are you seeing being used more of in this space? The answer is it depends on the business a bit. But most of the time, Mm -hmm. people from a data perspective, like the minimum requirements is they need to know the firmographic information about their accounts. They need to know some of the basics, which is what is the company size? What's the industry when a company size could be revenue, but could it be employee? They need some of the basics. I call it the tall, dark, and handsome criteria, right? If they don't know what their ideal customer profile looks like, then it's just a bunch of records in their database, right? They really need to understand who do we sell to, who buys our products, what size companies, what industries, and the personas within them. Because once you understand the makeup, then again, you're reducing your spray and pray marketing and you're being a lot more tactical. In most companies, I often see that sales comes up with their target accounts based on, hey, let's target the Fortune 500, right? They're big companies. Let's go after them. But maybe everybody in the Fortune 500 isn't your ideal customer profile. So you've got to understand the makeup of what your ideal customer looks like, both from an account and uh, individual perspective. On, by the way, personalization, we have found really tremendous impact when you know the firmographic information around industry. Because if you can Mm -hmm. provide content and case studies that matches up to the industry of the people that you're targeting, that's way more relevant than seeming like the creepy person who knows all about their business. Nobody knows their business better than them. So if you're trying to personalize by talking about what their company is doing in the news or around the world, that's not really useful to them. Yeah, it shows that you're doing some intelligence, but that's not going to get you a buyer. If you said, hey, I want to share this case study with you because CenturyLink, you know, a company like yours, has been doing the following things, and I thought it'd be helpful for you to see what they're doing. Now you're adding value, and you can only do that if you understand the industry or maybe pain points that that company is, is undergoing. And if you know some of the intent data and know some of the, the technographics information, you're going to be much more effective in your account-based marketing. So it's that. For the buyer, On the individual side, certainly knowing their role and responsibility will enable you to provide content and personalization that's helpful to them. You know, maybe if it's the end of the year and you're targeting 
you know, finance, for example, you know what they're going through at the end of the year around budgeting and wrapping up their numbers. And so you can provide tools or useful information to their role. So you've got to understand both what's relevant to a company that's trying to grow and also what's relevant to an individual that you're trying to sell to. If you tweet that, if you try to focus on solving instead of selling, you're going to be way more successful and, and delivering content yeah. to help solve their problems is, is always going to win over a new customer. Yeah, you're halfway there. So then what are the biggest mistakes that you see people do when they're breaking down the data, when they're analyzing their data? People don't love to deal with data. I don't know if it's because it's boring to some. I mean, it depends what department you're dealing with. There's certainly data scientists and people who love data. My team are masters with data. They can turn data into insights, almost like uh, Tank in the movie, The The Matrix. Remember Tank? He was there on the Nebuchadnezzar and he could look at the green screen and go, oh, here's the entry and exit, you know, for the for the team that was in the matrix. He loved data and he and he could make insights from it. And that was the type of people you need on your team who can look at data and utilize it to help grow the business. So the the mistakes that I see B2B marketers make is just simply this. They ignore it. They don't deal with data because Mm -hmm. either they don't understand it, they haven't hired the expertise, maybe they haven't teamed up with an agency like ours that can help them turn data into insights. If you're going to walk down the hallway and say, hey, what's marketing up to these days? You might feel like you want to show the next great campaign or talk about the event that you're doing. You're not walking. Hey, we just cleaned up our data and normalized all of our fields and deduped everything. It's so exciting. And now we're going to, you know, that just those conversations don't happen too often. But in today's day and age, yeah. data is everything. Think of Netflix, you know, completely transformed television watching and created binge watching. They build shows mm-hmm. based on data. They serve up recommendations based on data. Remember I said earlier that ultimately what you have to do is deliver a phenomenal customer experience? They're doing that through data. And, and they're exactly. the greatest representation exactly. of empowering data. Yes, absolutely. And then, so in this industry, what MarTech and sales tech products will you see gain more attention, especially given the big love for data? And how and what kind of data and what kind of technology would you tell other marketers to use today to stay on top of all of this? Great question. Good way for us to sort of wrap up, which is what technology is really relevant and what's the most, what are table stakes, if you will. Starts with marketing automation and CRM. And you might think, yeah, Dave, of course it does. But you know what? I meet companies every week that have never used a marketing automation system. They're using maybe an email engine of some sort, a batch and blast tool, and they have either a homegrown CRM or one they got on the cheap, and they haven't made the investment in a cloud-based CRM like Microsoft Dynamics or Salesforce.com, you know, something that is really purpose-built and modernized uh, to serve the needs of, of sales in the organization. Marketing automation, you got to grow up from an email tool and use these two critical systems. So to me, those are table stakes. You know how like when you have dinner, there's always salt and pepper on the table or something like that. That to me is it and surprising. On top of that, you've got to have data tools these days or licensed data as a service. You know, if you've got these great engines for demand generation and you have inefficient or ineffective data, then those tools are going to be really limited in their capability. So we're seeing the rise of CDPs. We're going to see uh, customer data platforms become more and more critical parts of the stack. We certainly see content management and publishing systems because that's what marketing is doing every single day. But if you're going to license a video hosting platform like a Vidyard or a content platform like an Uberflip, those systems are collecting data uh, when people are downloading content or watching videos. And you've got to flow that data into your marketing automation system to either increase your 
lead scores, account scores, um, trigger activity on people that are watching or consuming that content. So content publishing tools are, are critical. Data tools are critical. The other things that we're seeing people do is uplift their website capabilities. You know, if you're in the enterprise taking platforms like Adobe Experience Manager and personalization tools and making the website experience that much more personalized and customized. We're seeing a lot of our clients focus in those areas. So it's technology at the lowest level for operating uh, the infrastructure of sales and marketing and then tools at the content level to make engaging and education with your buyers and customers a phenomenal experience. Great. I think you shared some pretty interesting insights for our audience today. Are there any other key takeaways and last few words of advice you'd like to share before we wrap up? I want to come back to the empathetic side of the conversation, right? Uh It all sounds so practical, hopefully, and directional, the information that you and I are sharing, but it's hard and it takes the right team. It takes focus and it takes vision, what success looks like. And so everybody's business is different. Everybody's priorities are different. And I key takeaway is, you know, if you have a piece of paper in front of you, write down these four letters and I'll give you the words that go with it. Acquire, convert, measure, and expand. So A, C, M, and E, like Acme. Each of those four areas is everything a marketer has to become exceptional at. In fact, marketing and selling has to become exceptional at. You've got to acquire net new leads. You've got to convert those leads into customers. You've got to measure the impact that marketing is having on the business, how the campaigns are performing. And expand is you've got to turn your customers into clients, into loyalists, into advocates. And if you give yourself a score from zero to five in each of those areas, and if they're not fives across the board, which trust me, they're not, we're all in this together. Nobody's got fives across the board. By looking at where you are and where you need to be in the next 12 months, that will help you focus where your efforts. If you're crushing it with lead gen, Mm -hmm. but not doing so good with conversion, then improve your focus and the tools and processes you're needing for conversion. If you're getting new customers but not keeping your customers and you're attriting, then focus on expansion. And if you have no idea what's working or some idea what's working, then focus on measurement. But it's those four disciplines that represent everything we need to be good at and just take a look at where you are and where you need to get to. And that's my big takeaway. That's some awesome and interesting insight. Thank you so much, David, for your time. And uh, we hope to have you back sometime again to probably focus on a dedicated episode related to friction between sales and marketing, because that's what you suggested. So have a great day and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for having me on the program. All the best to you and your audience. 